Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. So today we're here with Michael Lewandowski, uh, who's at presently at St. Joan of Arc uh, Parish, and he's involved in adult formation, but he's way more than that. Um, of course, as listeners uh, may know, is St. Joan of Arc is my home parish. Uh, all six of my kids uh, have gone through there. I have one in fifth grade there, actually, so he's got three years to go. Um, but, you know, to us, it's the school, but it's, you know, mostly the parish because uh, that's where, you know, uh, the center of our Catholic life should be is in a parish. And we're very lucky to have somebody as smart and learned and as, as enthusiastic is Michael Lewandowski. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for uh, uh, coming to the broadcast. Oh, my pleasure. So, uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about you. Where, where'd you grow up? I grew up um, just south of the city in Calumet City. And, and uh, So, um, tell me about your family. What, what, what kind of family did you grow up in? Um, I was the youngest of four children. Uh, my mom was a nurse at a hospital in Hammond, Indiana, just over the border. We lived right on the border of Indiana. And my dad was in sales at a, a steel mill. Okay. And then, um, so where'd you end up going to high school, college, all that? So I went to Marist High School on the south side of Chicago. And, um, and that, was a, that was a haul from Calumet City. Uh, it was about a 45-minute bus ride every morning. Did you have roots there from your family or something? Uh, my, brother, my older brother went to Marist, and I had a cousin and an uncle who went there as well. So it was a good school. It was all boys at that time, and it looked like a good place to go. So that's where yeah. I spent my four years of high school. That's great. And then what were you involved there? in there? Mer really, in my time of high school, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I was really not involved in much in high school. I actually got a job um, in South Holland working at a grocery store. <laughs> so I spent my time um, you know, going to school and then pretty much going to work at the grocery store. But my passion at that time was fishing. So really? I was always, on my free time, I would go with my, a good friend of mine and we would go fishing all the time. So that's how I spent my four years of high school. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, but now Marist has a bass fishing team. I didn't, you know, I did not know that. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, they have, so a lot of high schools, in fact, in fact Naperville North, where my, my uh, oldest three girls went, they have a bass fishing team too. And so, boy, you, you just missed out, buddy. I mean, that, how yeah. fun would it have been to be on the bass fishing team, huh? That would have been something. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right, so Maris is a terrific school. Uh, for people that don't know, listen to this, I mean, um, really, uh, really a great school. Uh, and uh, it's... I, you know, tons of Chicagoans um, that are downtown working are, you know, deep, deep Marist fans, and they got a great sports tradition, obviously, too. 
but it's really uh, really neat. I, so I, I did not know you went to Marist, but that's that's a good start for you. And then when did you end up going to college after that? I went to Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio um, in 1998, right after I graduated uh, from high school. And I didn't have a clue as to what I wanted to do. So I went in as uh, undeclared, but I liked the school because it was a strong Catholic school and I wanted to go to college. I just was unsure of what path I was to take. So what happened? So really what I did is I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in English writing. I, were, I, I was a columnist for the, the paper there. I was also involved in intramurals. Actually, I got involved in quite a few things at Steubenville, unlike yeah. high school. Yeah. And um, I graduated in 2002 with a degree in English writing, but still, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And my parents were not too happy. <laughs> it's like, you went to four years of college, you still don't know what you want to do. Right. And it was only after that that I actually started going the theology route was after so, yeah. my undergrad. So how did, how did you figure that out that, Hey, listen, um, how did you, what kind of soul searching went in that you decided, listen, I want to go into the theology field. So actually it was in high school where I became very interested in my faith and I wanted to know the reasons why, like, why did the Catholic church believe this? Why did we do that? So I actually started learning a lot about my faith on my own in high school, but I really didn't see any sort of future in working for the church. I didn't want to be a priest. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just didn't go that route. Mm -hmm. It was after um, my, I graduated that I really felt God kind of pushing me a little bit, nudging me to want to work for the church, to want to really help teach people the faith. Mm -hmm. And how, how um, you know, we met, um, I remember this distinctly because um, I, I, I went on a long, long, long bus ride uh, out <laughs> to Washington, D.C. for uh, what they call the March for Life. And mm -hmm. um, I went with my daughter, Claire, and that must have been in, see, she would have been, uh, that, that must have been six, seven, six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And so on that bus ride, and then I ended up being your roommate. I, I, I remember that. And, and so then um, I didn't see you for a long time. And then all of a sudden, uh, you show up at our parish. And I'm like, yes, yeah. you got Michael Lewandowski. <laughs> so, this, so our paths crossed. Um, but so you, back then, um, you know, that's how I got to know you, but so you, you got this calling as it were to get into theology after college. Mm -hmm. And so what, what kind of concrete steps did you take after that? Well, what I did is I entered the distance learning program at Franciscan university and I started taking a number of theology classes. And then in 2007, 2008, I went there for my master's degree in theology. So I lived a whole year, um, you know, off campus and just dedicated myself full time to getting a master's in theology. And then you ended up getting that? Yes. Yes. I ended up getting my master's and then um, working, for, I graduated in August of 2008 and I thought I was going to go into um, high school teaching because I taught uh, actually religion class for two years at Joliet Catholic before this. Um, Graduated August, 
I worked as a teacher's aide for a year just um, just to make some money. And then it was after that that I got into parish work in 2009. At and so where, where did you end up going after that? So like I said, so I graduated in August 2008. All the teaching jobs were taken. Um, worked in Berwyn as a teacher's aide, and then I went into Saints Peter and Paul. They were looking for an adult faith formation guy. I applied for that job and actually didn't get it. And they called me back and they said, would you like to be the youth minister though here? Because you have experience with high school students. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't too happy about that. Yeah. But I said, okay, I need a job. I need to get my foot in the door. And so I took the position and I ended up really enjoying it. And I stayed there for six years. So you were at St. Peter Paul in Naperville for, for six years? Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. And then um, what did you do after that? That's when I came to Joan of Arc. So okay. it was in my, in my sixth year, uh, I'm married, we're having kids. And one thing about youth ministry is you have to go on a lot of trips. There's mission trips, there's March for Life. And it was yes. just becoming, it was starting to become a struggle with yeah. having a young family. And so I really wanted to get into ad adult faith formation and an opportunity opened up at Joan of Arc. I applied for the job, interviewed with Father Gabriel, and I've been there since 2015. And we are very, very lucky to have you. Thank you so much. But so tell us a little about your, your family, what, uh, you're married. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 when I came to Peter and Paul in 2009, I felt like I was called to be married, but you know, I still hadn't met that person. So right when I got there, I had to have this meeting. The pastor told me of all people, of all the people who used to volunteer to help out with the youth group. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't too happy about this because <laughs> some people weren't happy about me coming in. Um, not that they knew me, they weren't too keen on the new pastor. Yeah. And they're like, who's this new guy he's bringing in? And so I had this meeting. And during the meeting, the doorbell rings. And I, we had a camera. I looked in the camera and I see this 20-something. And she's ringing the doorbell. I'm like, who is this person? So I go to the door. She's like, hi, I'm one of the volunteers. Well, now she's my wife. <laughs> so, oh, is that right? Yeah. So she wow. her mom were volunteering the last few years, you know, helping out with various things. And she was a nurse, she's still a nurse and she was late and we got talking. And then a few weeks later I said, Hey, <laughs> I go out. And then two years later we got married. So oh, that's wonderful. And you've been blessed with four kids. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully, you know, we're right now we're, we're, we're having this discussion while this COVID-19, um, mm -hmm you know, things going on. And, and so um, Michael is so uh, gracious enough to do this with me um, and from his home. And so hopefully we'll, we'll hear one of the kids yell out <laughs> daddy or mommy during this thing. That'll be cool. I think it'll be really cool. So, um, but listen, so I, you're probably one of the most interesting people I know. And so um, a lot of times um, I think a lot of folks in dealing with, um, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, they, they have a lot of questions and sure. all sorts of different things. And obviously, you know, being a, uh, a cradle Catholic that I am and that you are, a lot of times we make assumptions about, you know, life, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, we assume that everybody understands that 
Um, our faith is based on thousands and thousands of years of both, you know, the Old Testament and the New mm-hmm. Testament and, and how, um, you know, uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters are, as St. Uh, John Paul II would say, they're our older brothers and sisters. Yes. And then how all the faiths intersect, et cetera. And it's such a nice thing to be able to talk to somebody that's got uh, understanding of the history of the faith. But I thought it would be really cool to talk about some of these issues. Um, so are you interested in doing that? Yeah, sounds great. Okay. So today, uh, April 29th, you know, I open up my Magnificat and it's St. Catherine of Siena. Mm-hmm. So um, who I think is a pretty cool saint. You agree with me on that? Oh, I agree. I yeah, I, I read this that somewhere that she's the first um, lay person and first woman to be what they call a doctor of the church, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Um, I think she's, I want to say that she was uh, had many many brothers and sisters. I think she and, was one of twenty four. <laughs> I thought I heard. Yeah, I'm I'm one of ten, and so it kind of blows my mind that that's the way it went on. But 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 this. This saint was pretty cool in that she, wasn't she like a, a peace broker between popes and stuff like that? Yes. Yeah, she was negotiating, I think, peace between popes and cities. Yes. So, yeah, what can you tell us about St. Catherine of Siena? You know, I don't know uh, uh, much about her, but what I do know is, like you said, she was a doctor of the church and that she was very much involved in trying to bring peace between the popes um, and various cities. And she was also a spiritual doctor. Yeah. And that I, and I don't understand all the the depth of it, but she, it sounds like she had profound um, locutions, visions with Christ, where he revealed uh, many different things to her. And that's why the church made her a spiritual doctor because of her contribution to the understanding of the faith and the understanding of how God desires um, to have a relationship with us. So um, if, if folks don't, don't um, know it, if you go to YouTube and you, uh, you put in uh, St. John of Arc, Church Lyle and Michael Lewandowski, there's some really cool YouTube videos of all these saints that he covers. And they're, they're like four or five minute videos. Uh, snippets but there's also some other ones that are a little longer but i would like i watched one on saint joseph i want on saint, saint saint patrick and then i also listened to one on saint corona which yeah. i thought was pretty interesting <laughs> yeah 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 so tell, tell us a little bit about saint corona so father dennis paul who's the apostolic administrator at joan of arc right now came up to me and said hey why don't you do something on saint corona and I said, okay, give me a few days. <laughs> Let me read up on St. Corona and uh, get back to you. Well, right now, obviously with the coronavirus going on, many people, um, especially in Italy, are asking for the saint's intercession because her name is, you know, she shares the same name of the virus. But also her body, her relics are in Northern Italy. And so there's a, there's a basilica dedicated to her and another saint right there where the virus is, is, is really, you know, uh, very strong. So a lot of people started asking for her intercession. Yeah. So if you want to know more of the backstory on that, go to, go to YouTube and watch Michael's. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. I, I, I really enjoyed it. So 
Can I play devil's advocate with you, Michael? Sure. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I have uh, family, young kids. I got kids from 25 down to 11. I got one in the grade school. And um, so a lot of people in, you know, in college or new graduates in 20s and 30s, um, let's just say the relationship between the Catholic Church and them is, is somewhat loose. And I think it is a lot with people that in that age, and I would include myself, um, give us some relevance of the Catholic Church uh, to, to these folks. Why is it important to have some sort of a relationship um, in, these, in these days? Well, I think for one point is, I think the reason the relationship is, is loose with a lot of people around that age group, I think part of it is just, you know, there's, there is that rebellious stage. There is that stage, especially in college where people feel invincible and they don't need anyone. They don't need God. So I think, you know, psychologically, I think a lot of people kind of go through that. But I think a lot of people, and I would say this has been a problem going back maybe 40 to 50 years, have not really been taught the faith in a very reasonable manner. I think a lot of people tend to think that faith has no connection to reason whatsoever. So faith is just something you believe, it's nice, but it really doesn't connect to anyone's everyday life. And I think when young people are shown that the Catholic faith loves science, the Catholic faith loves truth. And in fact, the Catholic faith teaches that all truth um, points to God and tells us something about God. I think they're more likely to look towards it. But I think our understanding of faith today is something that's just very amorphous. It's it's, it's, it's a feeling, but it has no connection to reality. And, and so um, when people feel that way, um, what are some of the, what are the, what are some of the practical reasons to be involved in, for example, your parish or um, having a faith life? Well, I think what happens, especially after college, with a lot of people, you know, once they start settling down, they, they get married, they, they get a career. I think they start feeling if they're not connected to a parish, if they're not practicing their faith in any way, um, they start to feel a little bit of an emptiness of there's, there has to be something more. I'm a big Beatles fan. And when the Beatles, by 1968, when they were the best band, and I, I mean, so many number one songs, I, I think it was Paul McCarthy said, we, we, they sat around and said, well, is this it? Is this all there is? Just we're the best rock band and that's it? Yeah. And so I think there's, I think when people get connected to a parish, I think a, a good parish has the ability to bring out their gifts, bring out their their talents, you know, where they could contribute, but also to challenge them to want to be better people. And I think people then start to find fulfillment and joy in that. It's just hard getting them in the door. It's that first step, you know, getting them in to an environment 
that's going to talk to them about the things that we all really live for, you know? Right. The relevance, you know, so that's, yeah. that's the one thing that, that I think, um, and, and that goes for every, people for all ages. They want to know what's relevant, how this is going to be relevant to my life, et cetera. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, um, you know, you don't have to go any further than you look at some of these saints, you know, I've got one over my, my shoulder here in St. Thomas More, who's, you know, a pretty, pretty tough guy who stared mm -hmm. down King Henry VIII and basically said, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go along. Although you're my best friend, although, mm -hmm. you know, you're the most powerful person in the world, um, my faith trumps you. And even though my family's begging me to say, just do what Henry wants you to do, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it, what it in, engenders is the, the best of what comes out of us, um, you know, uh, faith, love, and charity, courage. And you look at some of these saints that, that you talk about in your, in your presentations. And the one thing I really like is that, you know, all, um, all saints have a past and all sinners have a future. Mm -hmm. I like that, that term, because, you know, all these saints, I mean, you look at some of these saints that are, you know, famous. I mean, St. Paul was a notorious killer. Mm-hmm. And so I, there's hope for, for, for us that, you know, that have a past like me. And, and, you know, I always tell people and my kids, I try to tell them that, you know, I was very vain and, you know, I, I really, and, and still am, you know, trust me, I have got a lot of faults <laughs> and whatever, but, but the thing is, you know, the one thing is when you get involved in your faith a little bit, you kind of find out um, a little bit more of a grace and a humility um, of, of, God first, other second, me last. And it's not, you know, what I, what I do see with young people and, you know, some folks that are disconnected is that when they see somebody real, like, for example, Mother Teresa. Yes. And, you know, that quote that I just gave you, you know, God first, other second, me last is was one of her favorites. And to see how she laid it on the line, um, that, that kind of relevance. Does that, is that your experience seeing when people see people like that? Oh, absolutely. Because I know I did a, a two-part presentation on Mother Teresa last year at the parish. And here, Mother Teresa, especially in the 70s and the 80s, when she really started gaining popularity, I mean, fame, people started to know who she was. This was a time when many religious orders, for example, were dying. People were leaving the church in droves. Mass attendance was going down. Yet, Mother Teresa, this little Albanian woman in <laughs> Calcutta, was, her order was booming. It was blossoming. And she just lived an authentic life. She lived the gospel out, and that was attractive, especially for young people. And, and I th this is why, I, I like how you, you touched on Thomas More. I think we have to tell the story, stories of the saints, because these are real people who were touched by the grace of God, who changed their lives and dramatically influenced the world. Um, and and I, I think people, especially young people, need those examples that these are real people, and these were people with struggles. I mean, Mother Teresa struggled early on. I mean, she, even a lot of her, the sisters, when she was originally in a different order, they said, well, she was nothing spectacular. It was just, she was just one of us. But then that changed in the 1940s. 
which he felt called to go out into the slums. So I think the saints give an authentic witness, and I think that attracts young people. Right. So the the authenticity factor. So you know, um, you know, one of the things that that I think has got to be expressed more is the fact that you know all priests, bishops, popes, etc. They're not perfect people. No. I mean, no, nobody is, and so that's why it's really, you know, um, you know, I think that they that people when they lead with that that hey, I'm not I'm not perfect. And I'm leaving the judge judging up to God, and and I'm gonna, you know, I, these are beliefs that I have. I'm gonna do my best, but that's why that's where the sacraments come in, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think that when it, it, let me say this, I, I think part of the problem today in the church is so many people, especially when it comes to young people, are trying to be relevant. Like, and usually their definition of relevant means not really challenging them, <laughs> not really right. challenging them to be the best. Where the saints challenge us, but the saints show us that the only way to live this authentic type of life is like what you said, is through the sacraments. When I taught high school, when I taught high school students, I said, it is impossible to live out the gospel. I said, it is impossible to live according to Christ on your own strength. I said, you can't do it. So when you're hearing this stuff and you're saying, oh, I can't live that way. I said, well, that's the first, that's, that's great. You acknowledge that <laughs> because I don't think many people, especially young people realize that the sacraments are not just something that Catholics do but there's something that literally give you that strength and that intimacy with God to live out the mission he has given you in your life. And I think they, we really need to communicate that, that the, especially the Eucharist is giving you that supernatural help to, yes, not to sin, to be closer to God, but to be that person that you were created to be in the first place. I think we wow. need yeah that's that's good stuff I, I you know um, the the relevance is it it's it's there waiting for you mm -hmm. and all you have to do is ask doesn't matter what station you are in your life mm -hmm. um, and you got to ask for the guidance and it'll come right exactly I you know for Lent I read the confessions of Saint Augustine I, I always wanted to read that book and what shocked me here's a book written in the in the late fourth century and he is being so honest with God. He's saying, I don't want to live chastely. I don't want to live purely. I'm so addicted to this lifestyle. Right. I don't want to change. I know I have to change. But he, you literally could, could feel his struggle as he's trying to come to terms with the faith. And it's very beautiful. And it's very authentic. And when he makes that turn, he attributes it to God's grace and the sacraments that help yeah. them in the prayers of others. You know, um, if you, if you think that's bad, think of his mother, you know, say Monica, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that, yeah, that, that I, you know, he's one of my favorite saints, St. Augustine, because that is, you know, true. I mean, listen, I, I, I know that, that I, I can't remember one of his prayers was, yeah, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> Cause, cause, he, Cause he's enjoying life. He's, and you know, I, 
I kind of feel that way. I mean, I, I lived a life of just complete pleasure, enjoyed it. And, it just, you know, life was a lemon. I just squeezed it dry and I just enjoyed it. And, but, but, you know, it, you're a father of young kids and, um, you know, the time came and, and, you know, I'm, I'm lucky in that my, my wife uh, was really a stabilizing force in my life and basically said, Hey, listen, why, why aren't we doing X, Y, Z and why can't we do more? And, and so it really was good. Um, but for you, you know, raising your kids now, you've got a young family, who are some of your favorite saints? Oh, goodness. Um, so I would say one of my favorite saints, and, and this, is, this is recently, is St. John de Brebeuf. Wow. And he was one of the Jesuit North American martyrs who came to what is now Canada in the 1600s. And he literally just sacrificed everything. I mean, he eventually gave his life, but sacrificed everything of himself for the Huron people. And he took care of their sick. He preached the gospel to them. He did everything he could to help, to help them. And I think he inspires me because his strength came through living this sacrificial existence. And I think, I, I think like in my life, like when I was single, yeah, I had a lot of fun, you know, went here, went there. And, and I had some good times. But now that I have a wife and I have four children, now there's so much more sacrifice that's, that's involved in my everyday life. But I actually find that my, I'm, I'm more joyful right. living this type of life, even though sometimes it's very difficult and it's very hard, but I wouldn't want it, you know, any other way. So he definitely, um, I, I always loved his witness and example. And Thomas More, I, you know, I, I, I loved um, his example. So yeah, I, I would say there's, there's a number of saints that I, that I like, but I would say for some reason, and he's not, you know, like I said, John de Brebeuf, even though he's not the most well-known saint, his story just touched me on so many levels. You know, um, there's a parish in uh, nearby Hinsdale called St. Isaac Jokes. Yeah. Which I, I believe he was a contemporary of St. John, right? John de Brebeuf was actually his superior for a while in Canada. They, yeah, they, they were together actually a lot during that time. Yeah, and, and I like the story of, you know, like it. I mean, it's, I admire it. That, you know, St. Isaac Jokes, he... he um, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert, but the, the, from what I've read is that these cats said, listen, we're going to the New World. They went out to what is now Canada, and we're, we're with the Hurons, and they were met with resistance. And in fact, St. Isaac Jogues, uh, they're both Jesuits. Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they actually cut some of the fingers off of St. Isaac Jogues, yeah. and he was, you know, for somehow he escaped and went back to, to France. And then is, am I wrong in that he had to get permission from the Pope to say mass to hold the, hold the host in his palms rather than his fingers? Yes. Yeah. He had to get special permission. So what they actually did, it, it was horrific. They didn't necessarily cut, they actually chewed off his fingers uh, when he was, he was captured by the Mohegans. And the whole time, and he willingly allowed himself to be captured 
because a number of Frenchmen and a number of Huron were captured. And he was on, they, they were in um, basically, um, they were going down a river with several boats. And he actually got away. He was hiding. But he saw them being taken and he said, they're going to need a priest with them. So he willingly gave himself over to uh, the Mohegans. And being, they called him a black rope. And they're like, oh, we have a black rope. So they tortured him especially, but they chewed off those fingers. But that whole time, even though he was undergoing such torture, he would hear confessions at night. He would gather them together to pray the rosary. He would tell them, don't hate them. Don't hate the Mohegans. Love them. You know, God is asking us to sacrifice. So yeah, and he was there for, I believe, two years before he finally escaped. And then he went back. He went back. Uh, you know, to, I, I just don't, I, I don't understand. So, you know, the, the thing is, you know, that's why I think that what's so relevant what you do for a living is you breathe life into what exactly all of these people did. And they're actual people and they did these things. Mm -hmm. And that is so important because these are actual superheroes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how does one, they get their fingers chewed off. They escape. They tell they tell other folks pray for them. They don't know what they're doing, and then they get escape, and then they come back, and and then the uh, you know obviously a horrible torture after that when he dies, but you know how can I not go into any uh, church St. Isaac Joe's and just be absolutely blown away by that witness? Oh, absolutely, and and, and when he came back, his superior said, "We'll let you do whatever you want to do." And they knew what he was going to say. You know, they wanted him to say, oh, I'm going to retire in a monastery the rest of my life. And he said, oh, I want to go back. And he was back in less than two years. And um, he went, there was supposedly a peace treaty between the Huron and the Mohegans. And he went down, I'm sorry, not the Mohegans, the Mohawks. I was saying Mohegans, the Mohawks. And he was in a boat with uh, a high school, what we would call today a high school student, who they, they actually took on many lay volunteers to help them in evangelization. And the Mohawks turned on them. And he had to run the gauntlet with this high school student. And even though he went first, he saw that he, the, the, the young man was not going to be able to make it. So he ran back through the gauntlet, grabbed him and carried him through. And, and went through it twice. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and then uh, we don't have to go far. Um, also, in our parish, um, I, I read Mark Twain's uh, book on St. Joan of Arc, and uh, he said it was his favorite book he wrote, by the way, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I've but, heard um, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, that Mark Twain would go back to France and study this, uh, this saint, I, I think it was a long time he was in France studying this. I think she's the only teenager, uh, man or woman, to ever lead a nation's army. Mm -hmm. And fairly uneducated. Yes. Um, but, I mean, the story, obviously, there's been movies, et cetera, but this is a real person. Yes. And, 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 I mean, what can you tell, tell our listeners about St. Joan of Arc that maybe they don't know? Well, she, I actually presented on her, um, gosh, two years ago now. And is that, are these on YouTube too? 
No, because these were her presentation was like an hour and twenty minute presentation. Okay, so listen, Mike, Mike, this is what I gotta tell you. During this time, you know, when you're not changing diapers or you're not dealing with <laughs> if you could just do a couple presentations, like a couple five or ten minute ones on some of these great saints. I will try and get you as much listenership as because it's very interesting. I mean, it's better than most fiction books. It's all this stuff is it just comes alive. All this stuff. But anyway, get back to Saint Joan of Arc. Tell us some some tidbits. Well, what was funny is so she starts having these visions that she's supposed to help out the king of France. She's supposed to lead the nation, and she's literally a poor peasant girl. Well, she convinces her uncle to go with her to take her to see. Um, and I, his name is slipping my mind, but one of the, the major leaders, like military leaders. And she just goes up to him and says, hi, I'm Joan. I'm supposed to lead. And here's what God wants us to do. Well, of course, they don't believe her. But eventually, she, 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 she persisted. So she got, they put her in front of theologians. They were, you know, is this girl possessed? Is she, is she crazy? And they were convinced that she was experiencing legitimate visions. And she helped to lead the army against the English, but she was strict. She would say, okay, everybody needs to go to confession. We need to pray. Um, you know, the soldiers need to live moral lifestyles. So she would get on them for not living a Catholic life. And when she would come into these towns, she would ride in on a white horse and the people would go nuts seeing Joan come in. I mean, they, they would just be cheering from the rooftops. How she, old was she? Jo, I, she okay, when she first started. Um, and I, I put you on the spot there, I'm sorry. No, but. no, she was, I believe she was 17 years old when she first started and I mean, she was, she was going right into battle. She was climbing, they would build these uh, bulwarks up and she was scaling these things, jumping into the trenches, fighting, I mean, hand-to-hand -hand combat with the English. And she was fearless and she would call the army, you know, as they were retreating, she would call them. She would say, have courage, God is with us, attack. And they would rally around her. And wow. do these daring assaults, I mean, over these walls and hot tar and arrows. And she, she was injured a few times. I mean, think about that. She's a high school senior. Yeah. And, you know, she's doing this, you know, think we, you know, I remember as a high school senior, I, I could barely tie my shoes. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, it's, you know it's, it's, this is absolutely crazy town. But, um, well, that's, that, that's great stuff. I, you know, and I tell you, I, um, it, it makes it come alive. And I know it's, these are short, trite questions about really esoteric things, but could you tell us, just in pragmatically, the relevance of uh, the Old Testament folks to the New Testament of what's going on? Okay, so uh, famously said by St. Augustine is that the New Testament is hidden in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And so in order to really understand the Gospels, we have to have that Old Testament understanding. Because the Old Testament was the blueprint for what, would, what Jesus would fulfill, what, what he would fully unveil 
in the New Testament. So, for example, the famous story in the book of Genesis with Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac. God says, sacrifice him on the mountain. That's in Genesis 22. That whole story foreshadows Christ on the cross. Right. Take your only begotten son. Uh, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Isaac carries the wood for his sacrifice up the mountain. The, and the whole Old Testament is preparing us for what Christ basically um, fills in in the New Testament. The whole blueprint is there. That's, that's great. How the early Christians understood it. That that is good stuff. And then um, I, I know we've been speaking for a while. It seems like time's flown for me because I I could talk about these issues and and, the, and these people forever. Just because I you know they're they're kind of my role models now. And you know um, when I see the saints of the day, and it's, it's fun to read about the, them. But um, you know there's there's a number of things that that I'm I'm hopeful that that people will do is that they'll they'll find that the faith is relevant that they'll tune in to, um, you know, some of your broadcasts. But the, the main thing, obviously, is to go to Sunday Mass. I mean, that's the number one thing, right, for a Catholic, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's, where, that's where you have to, that's where it all starts. Right. And so why, why is it important to go to Sunday Mass? Okay, because at every Mass, what is being, what is, what in reality is happening is that we are at the foot of the cross, is that in an, through the, the bread and the wine, through the Eucharist, the one sacrifice that saved us all is being made present in an unbloody manner through the bread and the wine. So at each and every mass, we are literally at the foot of the cross. And when we receive communion, we are becoming one with Christ. So, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I don't get anything out of mass or I didn't like the homily. Well, I want a good homily as much as the next person, but that's not the most important part. The most important part is we are present at the foot of the cross. And by the way, that's how the Jews understood the Passover. When they celebrated the Passover, they understood that they were in... Um, taking part in a mystical way in that very first Passover with Moses. And so that understanding carries right into the New Testament. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. And then, so tell me then, um, you, you've made this, you made this choice back at Steubenville to, and then return to Steubenville. Tell us a little bit about Steubenville, what that place is like in, in, as far as its relevance to Catholic America. So, I mean, growing up in, in Calumet City on the South Side, I mean, most people my age were not that into their faith. And so, I mean, people went to Mass. I, my, I mean, most of my friends went to Mass on Sunday, but the faith was just something, you know, you talked about maybe here or there. Now, I grew up in a very Catholic home, though. My parents emphasized it a lot, so I did like talking about it. But when I went to Steubenville, it was culture shock. Here is a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds um, just on fire for their faith. I never, I actually scared me at first. I never witnessed anything like this. They, I mean, daily, they had three daily masses. They were packed, standing room. They had um, a 24-hour Eucharistic adoration. When, when they, had, they had confessions four times a week, 
and the lines were out the doors. I never experienced anything like that. So I really saw that the faith was very much alive. Where my perception before that was, okay, I'm one of the strange ones. I'm into this. Right. <laughs> Most right. people are not. Right. So that changed my perception. Well, and, and you know, seeing uh, where you're at right now, tell us the reasons why you have hope for the future of the church. Well, I, I have a lot of hope for the future of the church because, and I think we're, we're seeing a lot of the fruits of places like Steubenville, a lot of the fruits like what John Paul II, you know, established. We have a lot of young priests coming up. Uh, you know, a lot of people always talk about, oh, we're, we have a shortage of priests. And we do in the sense that vocations were down for a number of years, you know, for in the United States, for example. But in the last 20 or so years, probably more 25 years, vocations have been increasing and they're increasing among young people. And a lot of these young people are having conversions in their 20s, you know, in college or immediately after college. And I, so I think in many places, like even at U of I with their Newman Center, I think there's a lot of great work being done that doesn't necessarily, unless you're, you follow this stuff, a lot of people don't realize that a, there, there are a great deal of young people being reached through the March for Life, through also these other things that dioceses are doing as well. That's so great. Well, well, great. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us, uh, Michael. And I want to uh, invite you to come back and then we'll just have some smaller discussions about specific sure. saints because you know, I, the story, I didn't know the story about John, I knew he was contemporary, but I love hearing that story. And I love hearing the other stories about, I mean, the, the Old Testament one about Isaac. And that, that's, that's just, that hits home. And I just love these little vignettes. And I want to know about your, how great your family's doing. And, and, uh, and I really appreciate it from, you know, hope you know that our parish appreciates you and all the hard work you do and everybody else on the staff there. Thanks so much. No, thank you for this opportunity. It was a lot of fun. I get time flew. That's great. That's great. Well, and then we'll check in with you later. Okay, Michael. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Greg. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.